Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's a reason why central banks and the largest institutions in the world can invest in and do invest in gold because it's actually a huge market that turns over like over a hundred billion dollars a day every day, which is to, to put that in context for Australian share market investors, the ASX does like five to six billion. So gold is like 20 times more liquid than the entirety of the Australian stock market. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello and today we're going to be talking about the shiny stuff, gold. And uh, are you a gold bug? Would you call yourself a gold bug, Jordan? I'd prefer myself call myself a gold bull, but, but we can work <laughs> with gold bug if, uh, if, if you prefer. Jordan Alessio is the manager, listed products and investment research at Gold Corporation, the Perth Mint. Hi, how are you, Jordan? Yeah, I'm very well, thanks, Phil. Thanks for inviting me on the show. Oh, it's great to have you here. Now, Jordan's unbelievably experienced and qualified, so much so that I won't go through his resume now. I'll put everything in the show notes and the associated blog post. So tell us a little bit about the history of gold. There used to be something called the gold standard that younger listeners would have no idea about. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess it's difficult to distill the history of gold in a very short time. But yes, you're absolutely right for... Uh, really, for for the vast majority of human history, we have used gold as a as a form of money, um, and even up until 1971, the the paper banknotes that that people walked around with, or you know, obviously the, the currency that we kept, uh, you know, in our bank accounts, was ultimately redeemable and, and and backed by gold. So the way the system worked back in those days was. Uh, every currency in the world essentially was convertible into US dollars and US dollars were, were redeemable in gold at the price of uh, approximately $35 per ounce. And that was Fort Knox, wasn't it, where they kept all the gold? Yeah. That's the, the legend. Yeah, so the United States sort of still, even to this day, still holds more than 8,000 tonnes of gold as part of its reserves. It's, it's not the only country that does it. Most countries still own gold as part of their what they call monetary reserves, um, but the currency that we use on a day-to-day basis, the currency that we save in, is no longer backed by gold, uh, you know, explicitly, and, and it's not redeemable in gold. Um, and it's been that way. Actually, it'll be fifty years this year. Not in nineteen seventy-one, essentially, is when the the system changed, and gold effectively at that point for everyday investors switched from being kind of money itself to being an asset that they can include in their portfolio and invest in if they want to. And there are still people who like to have a bit of gold. You know, we were just talking off air before that, um, you know, when you hold the stuff in your hand, you see the reality of it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. there's a, a tangibility and a weight, and obviously it's physically beautiful as, as well, um, that is attractive to, to people. And I think the other thing as well is that, you know, instinctively, all over the world, people realise that gold is valuable. Now, that doesn't mean the price is always going to go up or that it's going to be better than shares or property as an investment, but people do instinctively get and trust that that gold is valuable, that it's safe in the long run, um, and that obviously helps drive people to want to invest in gold as, as part of their portfolios too. So let's talk about fiat currency. What is fiat currency and why is it in demise? Yeah, so obviously, as we as we discussed before, up until 1971, currency or money was was backed by gold. 
from 1971 onwards and, and indeed today, uh, most currencies in use around the world uh, are what we call fiat currencies and they are essentially uh, forms of money that the government decrees is worth something and that's what salaries will be paid in, what taxes are paid in and obviously what goods and services are, are bought and sold using. Now, there are a lot of advantages to fiat currencies. Uh, one of the disadvantages, perceived or otherwise, some people have different views on this, um, is obviously that over the long run, though, they don't hold their purchasing power. And there's no you know, conspiracy there in any meaningful way. Um, central banks that effectively you know, govern their usage, they are typically mandated to try and generate you know, what we call consumer price inflation of, you know, let's call it 2-3% per annum. Um, so obviously what that means is over the long run, the value of your dollar is going to decline. Now, in, I suppose, more normalised times, um, what you find is that the rate of interest you can earn in the bank should typically compensate you for that inflation. Unfortunately, where we are today, obviously with interest rates being you know, zero and in some cases negative in other countries, you know, money that's kind of sitting in a bank account is actually just losing its value in real terms over time. And that's obviously what's causing people to look for alternative stores of wealth, alternative safe havens. And obviously gold is one of those, which is, you know, why the gold price has, you know, if you look at the last 20 years, gone up by about 10% per annum, because investors are increasingly saying, well, actually, I'd rather save my money in gold, which will hold its purchasing power over the long run, or at least they think it will, versus sort of staying in, in fiat currency, which is inflating its value away over time. And this uh, tendency has been going on for a long time, the trend for interest rates to go down. I mean, we're talking about a 30-year process here, aren't we? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, interest rates around the developed world really sort of peaked around the 1980s. So, you know, what, what are we talking? That's four decades now, basically, where rates have more broadly been in, in what we call a, a secular decline. Now, it's fair to say as well, inflation has been declining over that period as well. So we're still getting inflation, but we're not getting as much as we used to. But you're absolutely right. The, the sort of in, income or interest rate people can earn for saving their cash has been in, in steady decline for a long period. And, and indeed, you know, I've got, you know, sort of family history of this. I can remember just before the global financial crisis hit, my family was involved in commercial property investment and, and we sold and you know we could get more than seven percent in a term deposit back then. That's only twelve. It's unbelievable. It's only twelve or thirteen years ago. Now interest rates are at point one of one percent. So it's yeah, it's it's just a very different world, and, and particularly for younger people and investors looking to protect and grow capital, they've got to think differently. You know, it's not as simple as just leaving your money in the bank anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's right. There seems to be a link between government spending and government policies and the price of gold. What is that link? Yeah, look, there can be. Generally speaking, and the United States is the best example to use, what you often find is when the size of the federal deficit increases, then you often see the gold price increase. Not always, but but often as well. So, you know, effectively what we're talking about there is, you know, the government, let's say they're bringing in a trillion dollars in tax, but they're spending two trillion, well, then they're running a deficit of a trillion dollars. Now, 20 years ago, a number like that would have seemed extraordinary. That's that's a regular year now for them to, to run deficits of uh, that, that size. So, yeah, what you what you quite often find is as those deficits uh, increase, the gold price can increase as well. I suppose investors get more fearful that you know those deficits will lead to inflation over time, and therefore that makes gold more attractive. There are other factors though that impact the gold price. You know what's happening in the equity market, what's happening with inflation, for example, what's happening with the U.S. dollar. There are multiple. Um, 
um, drivers of gold, the size of government spending or the size of federal deficits is, is one of them. And deficits, just to be um, specific here, deficit is the difference between what a government spends and what it brings in, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So yeah. It's, not, it's not just total government spending that, that matters. It's, it's how much did they take in in tax revenue as well yeah. um, and, and what's the size of that gap. So, you know, quite often people will see on the news, you'll hear a story about, you know, the government's debt to GDP ratio or, you know, the size of the deficit. Yeah, it's very clear that, that people are aware that, you know, when we're talking about the deficit, we're talking about the gap between you know, income and expenditure, essentially. Where does Australia stand in the world rankings of gold producers? Yeah, so we are, if you look at the last 10 years as a whole, Australia has been the second largest producer of, of gold. We, on average, produce around 300 tonnes a year. China's the largest producer by some margin, but over the last 10 years as a whole, Australia's been number two. So it's a very important part of the Australian economy. There are various estimates out there. It's probably the better part of 20,000, 30,000 people working directly on the gold mines. But then if you think of all of the sort of ancillary jobs that are supported by those gold miners, you're talking probably somewhere in the vicinity of 200,000 jobs are sort of directly or indirectly supported by the, the gold mining industry in Australia. So it's, it's a big business in Oz. Yeah, and we process it here as well. Like we send off the fi finished product. It's not... That's right. So, so the Perth Mint, who I work for, are by far the largest refiner of gold in Australia. So the vast majority of Australian gold miners actually sort of, they deliver what's called Dore gold to the Perth Mint, and we do the refining in, in Perth. Um, and obviously, the end result is that you end up with either very large bars of gold or, uh, you know, you can make very small coins as well. And, you know, Perth Mint, I think last year we exported the, the sort of end product to more than 100 countries around the world. So, yeah, it's funny because, you know, there, there's the perception out there that kind of high-end manufacturing in Australia is dead, but the precious metal industry is absolutely resisted that trend, if that makes sense. You know, or, and it, it or, is a high-end form of manufacturing as well, isn't a, it? Yeah. A, absolutely. I, I think it is, yeah. So the concept of hedging, gold is one of the important hedges against monetary assets and their overvalued inflationary impact. And there's a lot of highly technical terms. Can you break that down for beginners about what hedging is and um, how it can protect your money? Yeah, so in many ways, the, the the question sort of answers itself in, you know, what's the purpose of hedging? You're trying to protect your portfolio against an adverse outcome, uh, very simply. And that adverse outcome is typically one of two things. It's either something like the share market or property prices crashing and, you know, you're nominally losing a lot of wealth. Or it could be that actually prices of everything remain stable, but inflation kicks much higher and therefore the real purchasing power of your money declines. So, you know, your share market portfolio might still be worth, say, 100 grand, but if consumer prices have doubled, well, then actually the real value of it is halved. So, you know, that's why people desire and seek out hedges because they want to protect against the risk of those things happening. And gold has always been seen as, in, in many ways, like the ultimate market hedge. Um, it's highly liquid. There's zero credit risk. It can't default or, or go to zero like other investments can. And if you look at the, you know, the sort of past 50 years, as an example, whenever inflation tends to pick up, Gold is one of, or if not the best performing asset. And whenever the stock market crashes, gold is one of the best, if not the best performing asset as well. So if you want a hedge against either inflation rising or stock markets declining or property prices declining, gold has tended to be you know, the number one bet or definitely one of the best bets that you can allocate some money to. So you know, it's not about um, you know, putting all your eggs in one basket or anything, but it has worked pretty well as a, as a hedge. 
over the last sort of 50 years and, and there's really no reason to expect that'll change moving forward. So practically speaking, the investors may want to look at having some as gold as part of their portfolio. It's not going to protect the whole of the portfolio, but... Well, yeah, that, that's exactly right. I mean, some people, you know, that are particularly worried about inflation, they have very significant portions of, you know, gold in their in their portfolio. The challenge then becomes they're obviously exposed to the gold price. So if the gold price itself pulls back, then they're going to lose money. So actually, a lot of very astute investors and people that are already, you know, have made significant wealth, they will often put, you know, let's say 5%, 10% of their money in gold. And they'll quite often say they almost hope it's the worst performing asset in their portfolio because if gold's not doing that well, it means everything else is probably doing great. A little bit like when you take out an insurance policy on your house or even if you take out TPD insurance, you don't actually hope you claim on the insurance. You actually hope you paid the premium away and you know the insurance, company, just, about it. Yeah, 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 the insurance yeah. company makes some profit and, and you're happy because you didn't get sick or injured. From the perspective of you know gold's role in a portfolio, yes, it can make you money in its own right. But increasingly, what we're seeing people do now is say, look, you know, I've got a lot of money in equities, I've got property, I've got cash that's paying you know, below zero once I factor inflation in, I'm going to put some of my money in gold as a bit of a hedge and as an alternative asset. And you know, its track record, as I said, over the last 20 years, it's, it's gone up about 10% per annum in, in, in dollar terms. In, in Australian dollars, it's gone from under 500 to roughly $2,400 an ounce since, since the turn of the century. So it's actually performed very well as well. So yeah, most investors that I speak to that have had you know, meaningful or, or have had long running allocations to gold are very happy that they've done so. What are your thoughts on, on inflation? What are we looking at in 2021 with inflation? I think the trend is definitely up in inflation now. So for the majority of the last 10 years, whilst we've had inflation, it's been quite low. Uh, but if you look at what's happened in the last six or seven months in the aftermath of, of COVID and huge fiscal and, and monetary response by governments and central banks, we've seen inflation expectations start to rise. So I think in the United States, again, as an example, inflation expectations went from like 0.6% to over 2% in the in the in the space of about 6 or 7 months. How how is that measured? So basically what, what we're talking about there is the market's expectations of what inflation rates will be moving forward. And there are a whole heap of, you know, inputs that go into that, um, but clearly now the market is expecting that inflation will will pick up. Now, the reality is this, 2% inflation is probably not a huge deal, but if you're in an environment where again interest rates are at zero, bond yields are, let's say a 10-year bond is only paying 1% or a yield of 1%, then all of those assets are losing money in, in real terms. And of course, they're exposed that if inflation goes even higher, well, they're effectively losing money at an even faster rate. So that is one of the key factors now that is encouraging investors to say, actually, I'm going to own an asset like gold as a strategic holding probably for the next 10 years. So I'm going to put say 5 or 10% of my money into gold, and I'm just going to hold it for 5 or 10 years most likely, or until that kind of interplay between inflation and, and interest rates change. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Is Bitcoin becoming an alternative to gold? <laughs> uh, look, it depends who you ask. There are, there are people that, are, that would say that it is. Um, and certainly, you know, to be fair to the, the sort of Bitcoin bulls, it has obviously performed unbelievably, in, in particular in the last sort of six months, and it is marketed as digital gold. Um, so it's it's not surprising that people kind of you know ask that question. I, I still think though there's a, an, an enormous amount of difference between the two assets. What I would say to start with as well is that I actually own a little bit of Bitcoin. I think probably like most people, I wish I owned more given how much it's gone up. Um, but look, there, there's there's a number of differences. So first and foremost. You know, you've got the track record question. So Bitcoin's only been around for sort of twelve years now. You know, human beings have been using and valuing gold for sort of six thousand years. You know, if you look at the twelve-year environment where Bitcoin has been around, it's actually been one, as I mentioned before, where inflation rates have been pretty low, and actually where stock markets have, by and large, done very well. So it actually hasn't even really gone through a major sort of credit crisis or, you know, yeah. what I'd call a sort of a test, yeah, a, yeah, a yeah. real test. Mm. So that that's not its fault. It's it's a teenager. It's still growing up, right? Um, whereas you know, gold has survived, as I say, thousands of years. So if you were to sort of say, well, okay, which one of these can I be more confident in that it'll hold its value? I, I think gold clearly still has a, a massive advantage there over not just Bitcoin, but really the nearly every other asset class on the planet. There are also other important issues as well um, that investors need to consider. So one is is volatility. You know, on a bad day for gold, because gold does sometimes fall. You know, gold might drop three or four percent on a bad day. You know, Bitcoin will drop twenty five percent on a bad day. Liquidity is another factor as well. So how easy is it to buy and sell? Now, there's a reason why central banks and the largest institutions in the world can invest in and do invest in gold because it's actually a huge market that turns over like over $100 billion a day every day, which is to, to put that in context for Australian share market investors, the ASX does like five to six billion. So gold is like 20 times more liquid than the entirety of the Australian stock market. So there's plenty of so, so there's so it's opportunity e- to get in and it's out. It's easy yeah. to get in and out. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with something like Bitcoin, there are times where even very small amounts of buying or selling can cause the price to go up or down quite significantly. So you know, from a what we'd call an execution perspective, there's more risk there. Um, so you know, look, there's a lot of factors here, and, and look, certainly, I know if you know if it's younger people, probably in particular listening to this, they would look at the price of Bitcoin skyrocketing and go, "Well, that's incredible. That's what I want to own." And by all means, g- good luck to them. It has been an incredibly profitable ride for a lot of people so far. But anyone who's done any meaningful study of financial markets, and this doesn't matter whether you're a gold person, a fixed income person, a property person, you name it, things that move up in a parabolic fashion tend to crash in a parabolic fashion as well. And there is nothing new under the sun in financial markets. So it's all about basically working out your risk appetite. If, you, if you've only got $500 to invest and you're happy to sort of punt it all on Bitcoin, well, you know. Good luck to you. Good, good, yeah, good, good luck to you. Yeah. And, and, and it's understandable, right? Um, if you've got a meaningful portfolio that you need to protect and grow over time, you know, you might still decide, okay, I want to have a sliver of Bitcoin because it's kind of, you know, you can afford to have that little speculation. That's kind of what I've done. But 
the real portion of my money that I've dedicated to protecting wealth in this environment. And that you've worked very hard for. That, yeah. that I've worked hard for, yeah. that I need to, you know, needs to look after my family, mm-hmm. that, that's in gold. Yeah. And presumably there's no way you'd be losing the key to a store of gold in any current form. Well, that's an interesting thing because yes, I'm sure you've seen in the news lately, there's been stories of people that have lost Bitcoins and, and, and you name it. It's funny because one of the marketing angles, I suppose, for want of a better term with Bitcoin is that it's a totally decentralized system and there's no counterparty that you need to trust. Now, the reality is when it comes to any investment, if there's no counterparty, then you are your own counterparty, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, if you lose your key, you're stuffed, right? Because you've got no one that you can speak to to go, hey, how do I get my Bitcoins back? If I myself, as a client of the Perth Mint who I work for, or if any one of our clients you know, forgets their password to their account with us, there are mechanisms in place by which we can reevaluate or re-clarify their identity and in the meantime, we're still custodying and looking after their gold or their precious metals. So this argument about you know decentralization and lack of counterparties, it it kind of sounds interesting and sexy and amazing, but it comes with its own risks, which those people have, have found out very clearly. So there's a number of ways you can buy gold. You can buy the physical gold, you can buy ETFs, or you can buy mining stocks. What are the differences? Yeah, so I think probably the first thing, the, the first one we'd address is is the mining stocks versus gold argument because they are actually very different investments. So, you know, if you're buying a mining company or perhaps they might not even be mining yet, they might be exploring for gold, for example, obviously you have exposure to the gold price, but you also have potentially exploration risk, you have production risk, you know, you've got to have an understanding about how strong that company's balance sheet is. You know, if they're producing gold, are they forward selling it at an agreed price or are they happy to take the kind of market exposure? You know, how good's the quality of the management? Are they paying a dividend? There's so many more factors to be aware of, I suppose. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And indeed, almost certainly the best run gold mining companies will outperform the gold price itself because you're you're exposed to a, a business that's making a profit. However, for all of those reasons I've just covered, there's also more risk factors in, involved. And so, you know, a poorly run mining company or, you know, a poorly run company of any any stripes, I suppose, yeah. you know, can go bankrupt, right? An exploration company may not find any gold, right? So you've got so many more risk factors. And so what we, you know, in the, in the education, I suppose I do, and even again in my own portfolio, I own both in my portfolio. The gold is the kind of safe haven asset in, in my view, and it's the long-term strategic holding, the mining companies that I hold, I own them as part of the equity component of my portfolio. So, you know, I also own some banks and managed funds and other more traditional investments. My gold mining companies fit in that sleeve of my portfolio, if, if that makes sense. So that's the kind of difference between, I suppose, gold mining companies versus gold. Now, if you just look at gold, yeah, there are kind of three primary ways you can do it. You can buy the physical bars and coins that you sort of take home yourself or you store in a bank vault or a private vault. You can have what's called a depository account, which is an account direct with an organization like the Perth Mint. So it's like a stockbroking account, but you're buying gold and silver and we will custody it for you. And then the third option is to just buy a gold ETF, which trades on the stock exchange like a stock. Now, again, there's, there's no right or wrong way of doing this. But what I would say is, you know, if and particularly given the audience here are people probably already interested in or starting to buy shares, if you predominantly want exposure to the gold price as part of your portfolio and you don't particularly want to physically touch it directly, 
then the ETF is probably the cheapest and easiest way of going about it because you can already buy it in the same way you buy shares in Telstra or CBA or, or something else. You don't need a separate account. Obviously, if you're buying the ETF, you don't also then need to worry about storing it and the sort of logistics costs of having it moved or whatever. Um, and actually, for the majority of people, not all, but the majority of people, buying the ETF is probably the most cost-efficient way of doing it as well. So the sort of trading costs and the implicit storage costs are cheaper doing it that way versus doing it in the other the other two ways. Um, and certainly, you know, so the Perth Mint has an ETF on the ASX. Um, and to give you an illustration, you know, that product last year, the, the ticker code is PMGOLD, so it stands for Perth Mint Gold. Um, that product last year saw inflows of about 70% in 2020. The products sort of more than doubled or about doubled in market size because obviously the gold price went up as well, but actually just investors bought like 70% more gold relative to what it was holding at the start of the year because increasingly we're seeing people say, particularly people that already own shares, they're going, well, I want gold. Actually, I can just do that. You know, I could literally sell some shares that I own in my portfolio right now and just buy gold straight away. Yeah, right? and presumably take a profit as well on those Co- shares. Correct, yeah. that's right. So even from a sort of portfolio management perspective, it's much it's much easier, right? If you've already got money sitting in your broking account, you could just buy it straight away. Or if you want, as I say, if you wanted to sell some shares, buy some gold, you could do it. If you wanted to reverse that process, you could do that all in, you know, in three minutes kind of thing, probably, on, you know, depending which broking platform you're using. So is, is it an open-ended ETF, as in the more people subscribe, the more gold goes into the vault to, that's to right. back that ETF? Yeah, yep. that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a very simple process when you buy. Because one of the interesting things with, with gold ETFs that – People like me, I suppose, get into this because it's our industry and our jobs. Um, but it's it's very interesting and, and important to look at if you're buying a gold ETF, what actually are you buying? Because you're never buying gold. You're buying a security or some sort of financial asset that is backed by gold and that ideally tracks the gold price. Now, most of them do a great job at tracking the gold price, to, to be fair, and that's it's not hard to do. Um, but what's worth understanding if you're an investor in an ETF is – who are the counterparties to the ETF? So who actually issued the products? Where is the gold stored? Is it redeemable if I want to get my hands on the gold? Like, can I only sell it for cash back via the market? Or could I actually take my gold, you know, could I convert my holding for gold? Um, you know, is the gold stored in Australia? Is it overseas? Th- those sorts of things are important to, to get your head around. And just to have a bit more comfort because, you know, like, like anything, I suppose, they're, they're not all created equally. You know, fees are another one that's important, right? So some of the most expensive ETFs in, in the market now, you know, sort of 40, 50, 60 basis points. You know, our product, for example, is 15. So, you know, if you think that they're both just meant to track the gold price, all other things being equal, better to pay 15 than pay 40 or 50 points for an ETF. So, yeah, there's a number of factors for people to look at, but definitely they are a pretty straightforward way of getting exposure to, to gold in your portfolio. And is PM Gold redeemable in gold as well? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So the way it's structured, every unit of PM Gold is equal to one one hundredth of an ounce of gold. So very simply, if the gold price was $2,500 an ounce, you'd expect to see it trading at $25 an ounce per unit. And for every 100 units you own, you have the right to take one ounce of gold from the Perth Mint in a physical bar, basically. So it's you basically fill in a, what we call an exercise form that basically says, I want to convert my 100 units into an ounce of gold. 
will deliver you the ounce of gold or if you live in Perth, you can come in and pick it up. Yeah. So in, in the case of a zombie apocalypse, you've got to get your, yourself over to Perth to well, pick up your gold to come and spend it back in. You know. Well, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I suppose. I'm always, I'm always curious about the zombie apocalypse question. I, 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 um, I'm never quite sure how to answer those. But certainly in an environment like that, knock on wood, none of us are ever going to see it for a number of reasons. Um, you know, definitely things like shares and that are, are not going to be worth a, a huge amount. Something that either is gold or is easily redeemable into gold is, is going to be pretty valuable, I would have thought. Yeah, bullion yeah. and canned food. But it is important to clarify that, you know, because sometimes people go, well, the only reason to buy gold is because I'm trying to hedge against that. Yeah, yeah, if that yeah. But that's absolutely not the case. No. You know, if you look at... Again, look at the last 20 years. There's been no zombie apocalypse. There's been low interest rates. There's been lots of debt. There's been share market volatility, you name it. Gold has outperformed everything in that time. I'd like to think I'm probably one of the more optimistic people you know, around, you know, and, and I have a lot of reasons to be. I don't own gold really because I'm afraid about the future or what's coming. I actually own gold because I'm excited about it in many ways. And I, and I see gold as being a great way to protect my wealth so that I can take advantage of what the future is going to bring rather than, you know, the, oh my God, I, I need a bunker to hide in, you know, sort of investment mentality, if that makes sense. Tell us more about Perth Mint and the, the work of the Mint. Yeah. So look, the Perth Mint was founded just over 120 years ago. It's owned by the government of Western Australia. It is, as I said, I think earlier in the podcast, uh, by far the largest refiner of gold in Australia. Um, and indeed, I think we're now the, the largest refiner of Doré gold in the world. So Doré is the gold that comes directly from the mines. Other refineries also do a lot of refining of what we'd call scrap gold. So jewellery, old bars, you name it. When it comes to actual Doré though, we, you know, Perth Mint is the, the largest in the world. To give an example of the sort of size and scope of the operations, there's a few hundred employees. Last year, we turned over just under 25 billion Australian dollars. So it's, if you think in business days, that works out at roughly $100 million a day of, of precious metals we're sort of turning over through the business. Exported gold to, as I say, well over 100 countries, um, and that's gold in all of its forms, as it were. Um, and then the last bit, which is probably the most important for um, investors that, that are wanting things like ETFs and the like is what we call our depository business. So that's people that are buying gold or silver or platinum that effectively stays with the Perth Mint. We buy and sell it with you when you want to, when you, when you want to trade, but we also custody it for you in the meantime. Now, one of the things that makes the Perth Mint a, a very attractive choice as a counterparty to do that with is not only are we owned by the Western Australian government, but we have an explicit government guarantee that underpins the liabilities of the Perth Mint to its depositors. So even though we are a very profitable large business in our own right, um, we actually, you know, there's a fallback there for investors that gives them that additional comfort that if even if anything happened to us as an operating entity, the, the government of Western Australia um, under the Gold Corporation Act, which is the act that sort of, you know, gives effect to the Perth Mint's operations, um, government of Western Australia stands behind our liabilities to our depositors. We have something like 60 to 70,000 people that use our depository service. And in total, we store about $5.7 billion for for clients. And those clients are, you know, it's, it's mum and dad investors, it's retail investors, financial planning firms, superannuation funds that own gold on behalf of their members, and even central banks own and, and store gold with us. So yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of set up to deal with 
you know, effectively anyone that could want to buy precious metals, we've got an investment solution for them. Um, and, and those solutions range from things like, you know, mobile savings apps. You know, so if you just want to put 100 bucks away into gold once a month, you can, we've got a savings app called Gold Pass you can use through to, as I say, things like the ETF that sits on the ASX, which is really popular now with, uh, you know, SMSF trustees and, you know, new investors. You know, 2020 is a, you know, a skyrocketing number of people getting involved in the share market for the first time. So, you know, for a lot of those people, as I said, you know, if they want to add gold to their portfolio, then then something like PM Gold's a very easy way to do it. The Perth Mint deals in other precious metals as well? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah. silver as well. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the vast majority of the, the turnover is gold and silver, um, and, you know, that makes sense, you know, just if you think of the value of an ounce of gold, value of an ounce of silver, and just also how much is actually produced, um, yeah, it, it might be something like 99% of it is, is, is gold and silver. And, you know, even from an investment perspective, you know, there are – this is not just the Perth Mint. If you just look at sort of precious metals around the world, if you look at the amount of money that's gone into sort of gold ETFs versus silver ETFs versus ETFs that look at other precious metals, nearly all the money's going into gold and, and much less into silver. And then the, it's a rounding error what goes into the other stuff. And and there's there's good reasons for that. It's one, as I said before, you know, gold is the asset that everyone already instinctively gets is valuable. And I think more important than that, from a portfolio perspective, when people are saying, okay, I want something that's potentially a hedge against inflation, I want something that's potentially going to do well if the stock market falls, if you look at all the back tests of what's happened historically, gold is very clearly the asset that fits that role, whereas things like silver and platinum, and like they can be profitable investments in their own right but they don't necessarily stack up as well from a portfolio management perspective. So look, for some people, they don't care about those things. They're just like, I just want the one that I think is going to go up the most. But for you know, a financial planner trying to put a portfolio together for a client or an institutional super fund, or you know, those things are important factors to consider as well. Jordan, thank you very much for joining us today. My pleasure. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Shares for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. Thanks to Christopher Soulos for music production with that special Greekalicious flavour. Remember, music always flows, even when the money won't. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.